Ready? Here we go. One, two, three, four. He's coming on the clouds, kings and kingdoms will bow down. And every chain will break, as broken hearts declare his praise. So who can stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. He's roaring with power fighting our battles and every knee will bow before him our god is the lamb the lamb that was slain for the sins of the world his blood breaks the chains and every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb oh every knee will bow before him Okay. Yeah, okay. we're going to be in Psalm 19, so if you guys have a copy of God's Word, open it up to Psalm 19. To the choir master, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber, and like a strong man, runs, runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me, then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Praise God for the reading and the hearing of his word. Samantha, thank you so much. Here. You gotcha? Okay. Well, as we uh, open up God's word together, let's just uh, spend some time in prayer. The first 30 seconds or so, I just, I just want to be silent. Um, so that we can remember, uh, we need to be praying for Atlanta, Georgia this morning. And we need to be remembering our African American community, as well as our police officer community, our law enforcement community. And there's a lot of hurt, there's a lot of, a lot of crazy stuff these days, but I think just the first 30 seconds of silence will be just for us, right? To pray, for you to pray, and then, and then I'll pray corporately, and then we'll, we'll dig into God's Word. So let's, uh, let's bow together and just uh, pray silently.
God, we thank you for your grace. Your Psalms say when we are afraid, we are to put our trust in you. And God, whose word we praise, and God we trust, what shall man do to us? Thank you for Psalm 56, God. Thank you for your grace that covers and hears all the cries of our hearts this morning. Lord, we cry out to you on behalf of Atlanta, Georgia, and the city there. And the, We pray, God, for our African-American brothers and sisters who are hurting. We pray for our law enforcement brothers and sisters who are doing their very best, God. And Lord, we, we sense a real brokenness in our culture. God, Psalm 19, our text this morning, could not come at a better time. And so, Lord, I pray that you would use this passage of Scripture in our lives to change us, to not allow us to ever be the same. God, through the Holy Spirit, I beg that the Spirit of God would have freedom to convict all of our hearts and to move us into new places. God, change us for your glory. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So, if you... If you don't think God is trying to get our attention, you need to check your pulse. Can I get an amen? If you don't think God is trying to get our attention as a culture, you need to check your pulse. God is, God is speaking. There's lots of voices speaking to us today, right? It's not good for our mental health. Can I get an amen? Oh my goodness. There's so many. I, I feel like we're like yo-yos. Like we're spiritual yo-yos just getting pushed up and down and up and down and all around. And, and we're being pushed and pulled, struggling to know what, what should we listen to? What should we not listen to? There's an avalanche of voices in our lives. And uh, I, I don't know, there's just not enough time in the day. You know what I mean? There's not enough time in the day to watch every video you need to watch. YouTube is overloading our lives and there's all these videos that, hey, you got to watch this video. This video will change your life. I don't know how many posts I've seen this week of people are like, yes, every single word, period, mic drop. And I'm like, I don't have enough time in my day to watch every video that says you need to listen to every single word because there's lots of other things to do, and so it's hard to know, like, which, which video do I watch? Because I want to love Jesus, and I want to love people, and I want to, to be listening to the right voices. We're listening to so many video voices that I got to ask the question to you guys this morning. What about God's voice? Are you guys hearing God's voice this morning? When there's so many other voices, God's voice begins to seem distant and cold and maybe even non-existent. Psalm 19 is for you and me this morning. We need Psalm 19, amen? And some of you guys are like, I don't even know what's in Psalm 19. You're telling me I need it. What's in it? Well, this is your lucky day. Because we're going to walk through every single verse and we're going to ask God to change our lives. So Psalm 19 is written by David. 
It's a psalm of 14 verses. It has three sections to this psalm. The first section is verses 1 through 6. The second section is 7 through 11. And then the third section is 12 through 14. And what David wants us to know this morning is that God indeed is speaking to us today. He is speaking to us gloriously and clearly, and he's speaking to our minds and our hearts. How many of you need God's voice this morning? Amen? You need it? Oh yeah, come on now. We need the voice of God in our lives. And David is saying, Psalm 19 clearly tells us that God is speaking to us in two distinct ways. And then at the end of the psalm is our response to God. So the way, number one, that God is speaking to us is He's speaking to us through His creation. So that's the first way. Verses 1 through 6 tell us that God is speaking to us through His creation. You see it in verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims His handiwork. When I came to this psalm, I laughed as I studied this week because, ironically, we're doing church outside in God's creation, under a tent, while we're preaching about God's creation. Amen? How about that? Didn't plan that out. Didn't know we'd be doing tent church when I was planning my preaching last October. But God knew. So the the word declare there in verse 1, it has a continuous sense of the verb. It means literally declaring. So the heavens are continually declaring the glory of God, and the sky is constantly proclaiming His handiwork. So what this means is that creation is preaching to us. Can I get an amen? The breeze is preaching to you. It may not be a gospel you want to hear right now. I don't like this gospel. It just keeps coming, and I'm freezing, and I'm chattering, right? We don't like this gospel. You're like, I thought tent church was supposed to be too hot, not too cold. Right? So we see that creation is constantly proclaiming the glory of God. We'll get back to that in a little bit. Verse 2, day to day it pours out speech and night to night it reveals knowledge. And you might say, well, what's that all about? What is that? That simply means that the sermon never stops. Day to day and night to night, creation's sermon is constantly coming to us all the time, telling us about God. All right? And then in verse 3, it says, There's no speech, there are no words whose voice is not heard. And you're like, wait, wait a minute. I thought you said creation was proclaiming to us God. And then in verse 3, it says, There's no speech and no words. Is the Bible contradicting itself here? No. All right, here's what it means. Here's what verse 3 means. Verse 3 means that creation is mainly pictorial. Okay? Creation's sermons are mainly pictures and sounds. Right? So here's what that means. When you see a majestic mountain range, has anybody ever seen the Rocky Mountains? Okay, in Iowa... Okay, you don't see any mountains in Iowa. Can I get a sofa? Uh, uh, that stinks. I wish we had mountains. 
But if you go to the Rocky Mountains, you remember the first time you ever went to the Rocky Mountains and you're driving through the really crazy, weirdo part of Nebraska? And then you go across Nebraska's border and into Colorado and it's super flat and then all of a sudden you see it, right? You see the mountain range and I remember the first time I ever saw the Rocky Mountains, I'm like, no way! The Rocky Mountains, amen. I see that, I hear that, I hear that, amen. The Rocky Mountains, what is that? The first time you see the Rocky Mountains, what is that? It is a sermon. What is it saying? It's saying no words. It's simply saying, here's a picture of how great our God is. So I've been doing early morning bike rides through the park. (laughs) This last week was perfect. The way the sun comes down through the tree line, and it just gives those beams of light, you know. And you, I'm riding through the park, and I'm looking at it, and I'm hearing the birds. And what are the birds doing? They're going, cheep, 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 cheep. What are they doing? They're preaching. The birds are preaching to me. And they are, I'm, I'm walking through, and I'm seeing the water of the lake, and I'm saying, what is all this? This is a sermon of pictures that tell my soul, be in awe of God and of his glory. Throughout all the earth, creation's sermon is being heard. Verse 4, their voice goes through all the earth and their words to the ends of the earth. Well, what does that mean? It means everybody is hearing the sermon every day of their life. Every single person looks at creation, and in that creation, they are hearing the sermon of God, and they are without excuse. Every single person, from the person on the island in the middle of nowhere, to Iowa, to Western Europe, to China, every person wakes up and they hear and see the sermon of God, and they are accountable for that sermon. Amen? Romans one twenty says that. And then in the middle of this creation, then you have this, the star of stars that approaches the psalm, and that is the sun. In verse 5 and 6, in them, in them he has set a tent for the sun. The sun comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man running its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from the heat of the sun. Right in the middle of the birds and, and, the, and the clouds and the sky is the sun. And the sun is like the particular and powerful preacher of creation. Here comes the sun, right? Who sang that? Come on. Da-na-na-na. The Beatles did. They were on to it. They knew Psalm 19, verse 5. Can I get a Beatles amen? All right, all right. There's some Beatles fans here. Here comes the sun. Da-da-da-da. What's the sun do? The sun, in a very particular way, comes up and it rises in the east. It sets in the west. And the psalmist says the sun pours out a sermon to us every day that glorifies God. The crazy part of our culture is that we look at the sun and instead of pointing to God, we start worshiping the sun, which is a problem, right? Sun worship has been well documented for hundreds and thousands of years, and it's the wrong response to this glorious star that we see every day. The sun is like a bridegroom. 
leaving his chamber. So the son is like described as this young groom. And what do you know about young grooms, church? They're joyful and they're dressed up, right, for their wedding day. Now, if you see a guy getting ready to meet his bride on his wedding day, you kind of have to be like two things, right? You got to look at him and say, wow, he looks really strong and powerful and joyful. And then the second thing you do, if you've been married for a while, you just laugh at the poor kid because he has no idea what is coming his way. Can I get an amen? All right. So I remember my wedding day feeling really good, like a, like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. I was all nice. I was spiffed up. I looked really good. And like a fool, I shaved after I put on my really nice shirt and I cut myself shaving. Not a small cut, a big one. And I cut myself and I start bleeding all over my shirt. And my beautiful bride, Danielle, she looks at me and she's just like, I married an idiot. I'm marrying a moron. What, what is he doing? Honey, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm so sorry. So I felt like a joyful, powerful groom until I cut myself, okay? But the sun is not like Josh Daggett. The sun rises every day. It's powerful throughout the day, and it sets, and it's preaching a sermon about the glory of God. Nothing is hidden from its heat. Verse 6, you can't escape the heat of the sun. And all of you who took a sunscreen bath yesterday say amen, right? That's me every time I go out in the sun. Shh. Like the only way I tan is when my freckles connect. Amen. All right, that's the only time I tan. So like for me, I'm just like caking this stuff on because I can't escape the heat of the sun. Some of you are sun friendly. You're blessed. Praise God. Good for you. But the sun has this powerful heat and that heat is a sermon about the glory of God. So from blue skies to birds and from clouds to canyons, from sunrise to sunset, God is speaking to each one of us 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And what is he saying? He's saying, I'm here and I'm real and I'm glorious and I love you. Jesus is in this first point. Jesus speaks to us through creation. Remember, he's the light of the world. Jesus is the bread of life. He's the vine. He's the bright and morning star. Jesus was always outside preaching his sermons. I guess we're kind of like Jesus doing the tent church thing. This is what Jesus did all the time, except no tent. Man, he's amazing. So God is speaking to us, number one, through creation. Secondly, God is speaking to us through his commandments. Through his commandments. And this is verses 7 through 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Okay, the law of the Lord and and the testimony, the precepts, the commandment, the fear of the Lord. Like there's all these different descriptions in verses 7 through 11 for the Bible. The law of the Lord is what we'll say. We'll summarize it this way for time. The law of the Lord is the commands of God, the words of God that specifically and powerfully preach to us, unlike creation. So if creation is like a general sermon to us every day, 
the Word of God is a specific sermon for us every day. Okay, so in this section, verses 7 through 11, there are six titles for the Word of God. There are six qualities of the Word of God. And then there are six effects that the Word of God has in our lives. So the law of the Lord, the testimony, the precept, the commandment, David is telling us these are essential things to bring into your heart and life if you want to live the blessed life. How many of you want to live the blessed life? Amen. How many of you want to live joyful? You want to be happy? Like what's been wrong with our world the last four months? We have a lot of circumstances that are not making us very happy. Can I get an amen? They, they, they bring us sorrow. They bring us burden. If you want to live a blessed life, according to Psalm 19, you had better connect yourself to the word of God. Amen. So if you're not connected to the Word, you're like, hey, pastor, I haven't read my Bible in 5,473 days. You ain't going to have any joy in your life. You're, going, you're disconnecting yourself from the very source that gives you a specific sermon of joy. So the commands of God have wonderful effects in the lives of those who read them. You have to read the Word, you have to obey the Word, and when you do that, there's amazing effects. There's six of them listed. One is revival. You see that in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Another one is wisdom. It makes wise the simple. The Word of God brings joy to the heart, rejoicing the heart in verse 8. The Word of God brings enlightenment to the eyes, verse 8 at the end. And then also there's righteousness. The Word of God brings righteousness. Now, let's list them all out. The Word of God brings revival, wisdom, joy, enlightenment, endurance, and righteousness. How many of you want that stuff in your life? Amen. Man, come on now. Bring me some revival. Bring me some wisdom. Bring me some joy. Bring me some enlightenment. Bring all of that, Pastor. Bring it to me. And I'm saying, get in the Word of God and you'll have it. Isn't that good? You don't need Pastor Josh to give you joy. I can't do that. The screen of your phone cannot give you joy. Can I get an amen? The only only joy you're getting is if you get your nose in these promises right here. So this sounds pretty amazing. This is the heart of our God. Not just to do the creation thing, but also to bring us into a place where we love His Word. So the Bible is not only uh, blessed, it gives blessings out, but it says in keeping those promises, there is great reward. In verse 10, it says, more to be desired are they than gold. So you should desire the Word of God how much? Verse 10 says, more than gold. You should want the Bible more than gold. It also says you should want the Bible in your life more than the drippings of the honeycomb. And many in modern day America say, what is that? Drippings of a honeycomb. I just buy a jar of honey at Walmart. No big deal. The Bible is supposed to be pursued more than this. Let's put it in modern vernacular. You should want the Bible more than you want money and more than you want dessert. Now, yeah, for some of you ladies, I just sinned right there, didn't I? 
I want the Bible more than dessert. I used to like this church until right now. The psalmist says that the Bible is better than money and sweet food, better than money and dessert. And so, therefore, there is great reward in keeping the Bible, staying close to the Word of God. The Word of God, when it's in our lives, brings not just, you know, blessings that are better than money and dessert. It brings social change. It brings individual and social change. The Bible talks about blessing in a way that it changes and transforms the heart of the person who reads it. And this is my heart for our culture at present. We want revolution at times. We want a lot of change at times. But we don't want to tether the change to the Word of God. That's a problem. When we want change and it's just for emotion's sake, that is a problem. Our change must be rooted and grounded in the Word of God. we got to have a foundation. If we want change that lasts, not just for the moment, but lasts for generations, we gotta, we got to tether ourselves to this book. To say every desire that I have, every conviction that I have is tied to the truth of God's Word. We see Jesus here. He was the Word, right? John 1.1, 1, 1. in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus spoke God's Word. He valued God's Word. He loved God's Word. Jesus fulfilled God's Word. So those are the two ways that God is speaking through creation and then also commandment. So then the third and last point of this sermon is our response. What is our response supposed to be? As we see the creation sermon, as we hear the commandment sermon, what's our response supposed to be? Our response, according to verses 12 through 14, is to be humble prayer. We are supposed to hear God's voice through creation and commandment, and we are supposed to respond with humble prayer. Do you see verse 12? Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Our response is humble prayer. In verse 12 through 14, you see David shouting out words of weakness, sorrow, desperation, genuine fear, and a desire to speak and think differently. Okay, this humble prayer is the response of hearing the sermons of God. Just yesterday, I prayed at a prayer gathering at the Capitol. Some of you knew that, some of you don't. So I went to the Capitol on the West Terrace there, and I got to pray with brothers and sisters in Christ of every tribe, every tongue, and every nation, and every skin color. And you know what? It was awesome. Amen? It was awesome. I got to meet so many new African-American brothers who are preaching God's word in our city. And I got to hear their heart as they prayed to God humble prayers of repentance for our country. I got, to, I got to meet Hispanic pastors who have brown skin and they love the Lord and they speak in Spanish and they're amazing guys who love Jesus and feel the same burden that I feel for this country. Church, it was an awesome experience of humble prayer. 
to say, God, we're broken. And when God speaks to us through creation and commandment, it stirs us. It stirs our hearts. When God is speaking, it stirs us up. Can I get a witness? You, ever, you know, when God's speaking to you, it's kind of like going and meeting with the principal when you're a kid. When you go into the principal's office, you're listening, but you're scared to hear the words that are coming out of that mouth, right? Not that I ever got pulled into the principal's office as a kid. Never happened. But when you're hearing the principal's words, you're like, okay, it's stirring me up to change. I better change my attitude. And so the psalmist says, I'm being stirred by the sermons of God, and I need to humbly pray over the hidden faults, the hidden sins, the blind spots that I have. David says that he has hidden faults. Do you know there are sins that you have that you don't even know are there? Do you guys know that? You have sins in your life that you don't even know are there. I think that's the whole idea of the social discussion right now is that that we are trying to be made aware and we are being made aware by God that there are hidden sins that we don't even know are sins. Praise God, amen? There are hidden sins that are sins that we need to be asking God for forgiveness for even though we don't know that we were doing them. Our culture is so blind and God is waking us up. 1 John 1.8, if we say we have no sins, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If you're walking into this tent all proud and pompous and saying, hey, I don't have any sins. It's all the other people that have the problem. You're the problem. If you're looking around at everybody else saying it's everybody else's fault, I'm fine, you're fine, we're fine, You have hidden sins that you are not even aware of that God through his grace is pouring out into your life this morning and your preacher is telling you, you have hidden sins you don't even know about. You want to know what they are? Ask your best friend. I'm serious. After this service, go ask your best friend. Say, hey, what are the faults? What have you always wanted to say to me that you've never been able to say to me? And just listen. And you'll find out all kinds of new things about your sin that you didn't even know about. That's what God's calling us to. And our our culture is so blind to our hidden sins. We have racism. We have sexual perversion. We have potty mouths. How many of you are potty mouths this week? You are swearing up and down. And you're like, oh, well, my my potty mouth's not that big of a deal compared to everything else that's going on in this world. Whatever. God looks at your potty mouth and he says, that's a sin. What about abuse of power? We have educational problems. We have straight up denial of God. And we are proud and we shouldn't be proud. We should be undone by this. So where does the revival start? David says, declare me innocent from from all my faults. Declare me innocent. Revival starts in me. Change starts individually. Change starts with you, me, and Jesus. And the psalmist humbly prays to be justified by God. And I'm just going to close with this. David prayed and he said, I need somebody to come and declare me righteous. I need somebody to step in for me because I'm so broken. I'm so sinful. I need someone to step in. This is where Jesus comes in and does his greatest work. We all have hidden sins. We all have struggles. We're all hearing the sermon of God every day. And we need a savior. We need a justifier. 
And this is where Jesus steps in. When Jesus hung on that cross, he took all of our hidden sins, all of our secret offenses, all of our quiet attitudes, all of our hidden struggles, all of the stuff that's about ready to go public. Jesus took all of it and he became guilty for us so that we might become innocent. The innocent one became guilty so that the guilty could become innocent. That's the gospel. And our faith and our trust needs to be in Jesus. Change does not start in the White House. Change starts in Jesus' house. Can I get an amen?